And good morning, church family. Yes, so Pastor and I are switching roles, and actually I had someone ask me uh, if I wouldn't, if I would actually promise them that I wouldn't tell any bad jokes. And I, so I'm making that promise. None of my jokes are bad. (laughs) Oh, all right. So then I felt like it was a challenge, so now i got to tell you that I just adopted a dog from the pound, and I can tell it's a blacksmith dog. You know why? Because as soon as I got it home, it made a bolt for the door. (laughs) See, none of those are bad. That is not bad. I am here all week. (laughs) So, uh, and speaking of us, last week, Pastor Luke preached about a critical spirit, a cynical spirit, a uh, 3C spirit, complaining spirit. And um, I I have to joke first, because that explains any Chicago Bear fan. But what it really, without a joke, God was piercing my heart and realizing that that's, that's a default mode that I have. Cynical, critical, those spirits, and that's what they are, is false spirits. And I could fall into that default mode, and was convicted, and the life force, the, the meaning of a spirit is life force. And you know what? It doesn't even have to be to anyone else. It can just be right in here. A negative, false spirit in yourself. I was so convicted that it's still a false one. It's not the real one. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the one we should be filled with. And so I appreciated that word. And then as I'm praying to the Lord to help me remove those false spirits, those those critical, condemning, hard-hearted spirits that want everybody's heart, including my own and our own thoughts, just praying, and the Lord kept sharing with me, then fellowship with the real one, right? Fellowship with the real spirit, the spirit of the Lord. And so here's my question. Can we fellowship with wrong spirits? This is where you have to answer. I see this, but let's use our words, okay? This is what I tell my kid. Use your word. Can we fellowship with the wrong spirit? Can we... Uh, fellowship with false spirits? Can we fellowship with wrong thoughts? Hmm. Then we better check our fellowship. Because my default setting, I don't know about yours, but I can instantly go right into the false one. I'm programmed that way. I have to seek the Lord. I have to run after him. I have to follow hard after him. In fact, I remember uh, just recently there was a gentleman from New Boston area, and uh, it was somebody that I used to run and seek the wrong spirits with before I knew Jesus. And right away, he's like, oh, we should hang out. And you know what my thoughts were? I can't fellowship with you. Because I'm not going to continue to fellowship with those spirits that I did before, right? This is why hy has wine in spirits. You know which ones I'm talking about. I'm not going to have fellowship with them. 
So check our fellowship. And this is what we're talking about today. This is what Paul brings out in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. If you'll stand, it's on the screen. It's also in your pew Bible, 1153 in your pew Bible. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, finally, brothers. And if you have the NIV, it says, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your true Holy Spirit. And there is only one. And there is only one true one that's offered through Jesus Christ. So, Father, fill your people. Speak to our hearts. Pierce in on any false way within us and help us to search ourselves and to lay it all down before you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what's fun about uh, reading the last few verses of 2 Corinthians is I get to spend the rest of the time preaching all about 1st and 2 Corinthians. So hopefully you don't have any chicken in the oven. It will be burned today. Okay. Gee, lighten up, folks. All right. <laughs> See, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I actually feel more comfortable when you laugh. And so if I can get you laughing, then um, it goes... Good. Okay. <laughs> All right. There's a heaviness here that the Lord has put on my heart with this fellowship. And we're going to go down these verses and just really, truly unpack each thing. And what's fun about this is Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and they were, they were having some serious issues in the Corinth church. Sexual immorality. They had social stubbiness or stubbiness? No, they weren't stubbies. They were snotty, social snots. They, uh, they had hierarchies. Yeah, thanks. See, now you're laughing. Uh, <laughs> totally made me feel comfortable. <laughs> and, and Paul is addressing, in fact, the letter that we're reading is actually the third letter to the Corinthians, because he wrote the first one, and they had such issues that he was even there that he left just so they could have peace. Because all the things he was suffering and all the things he was going through, they were like, he can't be an apostle. He can't be a true teacher. Anybody going through all that can't be of God. There was such turmoil. I mean, he just stepped away. And then he wrote a second letter to them that was pretty harsh, rebuking them. That's not in our Bible. That one, God did not ordain. I wonder what that says, though. Wouldn't that be fun to read that one? So then we have this one. And he goes into a whole nother side and talking to them about love and talking to them about how to strive with one another, how to live in unity. And, and so he, in these verses we read, he concludes all of 2 Corinthians 
with almost these marching orders for brothers and for sisters. So that's people that know Jesus Christ. That's you and I. And these are our marching orders. And he starts off with saying, finally, he concluding, brothers and sisters rejoice, aim for restoration. Now we're going to pause there because if you have an NIV or you have a Young's Literal or a New King James, it actually says rejoice and be perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect. Okay, that's good. Then we're, I'm in good company. Okay, because I'm not either. But here's the thing. It says rejoice and aim for restoration. In other versions, it's bringing restoration and perfect together. You know why? Because when you aim for restoration, you're showing off a perfect God. That's God's nature is restoration, restoring the whole world back to the right relationship with himself. Colossians calls it, he reconciles the world back to himself. He restores every soul to the right point. You know what happens in restoration? It's bringing something back that's broken. So when we, as Christians, brothers and sisters, we aim for restoration with each other, it's perfect. How many of you would like to be perfect? You want to make that your aim? Restoration. You say, oh man, I, uh, I, I almost said it. I'm married to my wife. Okay, Yoda, give us more wisdom. Uh, she loves to be perfect. And she is, in my eyes. She's perfect. And she uh, follows the rules to a T. And I really noticed that it's the Holy Spirit in her. She can't stand to break the rules. She loves to be perfect. In fact, Monday, we went to go watch The Chosen in the theater and I'm like, all right, kids, let's, let's load up. Put some popcorn in this pocket. Put some sodas in this one. We're going to the movies. We're not paying 20 bucks for a soda. You know? And, and that's, that's me. And my wife says, we can't do that. I said, what's the matter with you? What do you mean we can't do that? I'm going to put some milk duds and Skittles in my socks. You know? Nah, you can't do that. And she goes, it's against the rules, Seth. And I'm like, whose rules? I mean, do they have that sign on the door? I mean, I'm saying this. I'm like, and she's like, okay, Pastor Seth, let's go watch The Chosen. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I don't have any outside food. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, you're right. And, but if they don't have it on the door, we're going to Dollar General. Okay. <laughs> And you know what? On the door it says, please finish all outside beverages and food before you come in here. And you know, the reality is I was actually reading the ADA handicap one. And I'm like, well, it's not here. Let's go to the store. She's like, it's right there. And I'm like, ah. And then she's perfect. And she's right. And I was wrong. And that's how she follows the rule. And you know what? That's the Holy Spirit in her. It's self-control, it's obedience, it's following the rules, even if you shouldn't, but you should 
every time. And you know what? I had a mint in my pocket. This is me. And we're watching the movie, and halfway through, I took it. I have one now. And I said, here, here's a mint. She took it. I said, welcome to the rebellion. <laughs> and she had it in her mouth, and she goes, mints don't count. <laughs> Jesus, no. Mints don't count. <laughs> uh, true story. I want to be perfect. I strive to be perfect. It should be every disciple's aim. But if we're not seeking restoration in our families, in our marriages, with our kids, just sometimes it's even people we work with, we're falling short. We know a perfect God, and he's calling us to restore relationships. And you know what? I don't want to. I rebel. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to forgive them. No, I don't want to do... Your heart will not be okay until you make restoration your aim. As a disciple, we're called to it because we're called to God. And that's his heart. So knowing that that's our aim, the next part says, comfort one another. This means to strengthen, to invigorate, to encourage, to cheer on. Bring comfort to one another. Is it comforting to know that I fail when going to the theater, that I need someone to slap me upside the head? Kevin, I know you're a milk dud soccer. Yep, I know you. Here's the thing. Yesterday, I visited an elderly lady in her home, and she's been through so much. She even confessed to me that none of her family is alive. She showed me a picture of her brother. She's going through such pain in her back that even pain meds, that's all they want to give her, she can't take because it makes her sick and dizzy. So she's just suffering. And suffering, and I'm there to visit her and bring comfort and any sort of encouragement. And you know what happened? She encouraged me. I sat down and I was talking with her, and she said that she was at the doctor's office, and there was an RNA nurse who was a believer. She's like, I can just tell that that girl is a believer. And she said, and I started to tell her that when I get to heaven, and I'm not too. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why the suffering? Why the pain? I can't even this, that, and the other. And the, the nurse looked at her and said, when you see God, will that even matter? Whoa. And you know what my sister said? It hit her. And she was like, no. None of it will. And so she said she changed her prayer from healing and comfort to rejoicing. That she just gets to know God. And then it hits me. I'm like, oh, sister, that's easy to say, but that's hard to live. And there she is with a smile on her face. I know, but he's so amazing. How could I not rejoice? So here I'm trying to bring some sort of comfort, and then I come back totally encouraged 
somebody is living real faith. And no matter how it hurts, no matter the suffering, no matter the strain, rejoice. God is good all the time. So comfort one another, strengthen each other. When it's difficult, when there's distress, call on a brother, pray, call on a sister, pray with each other, encourage one another. And then the next one is live in peace. Here's the marching order church. The Corinthians church, they had divisions. They had struggles to just unify. They had dissension. I mean, they were practicing, uh, in a way, sexual immorality on another level with their temples and prostitutes in the temples. And then they had market meat markets that they took the meat and sacrificed them in an idol that wasn't God. And then they would sell the meat in the market, and they're like, do we even get to eat this? It was sacrificed to idols. Do we get to go to that temple anymore? I mean, there, there's so much division of what do we even do? And it's live in peace. You have to practice loving each other, harmonizing with one another. We can run into quarrels with each other. We can run into issues and it tells us to live in peace. And then it also says, agree with one another. This doesn't mean rubber stamp it. It doesn't mean agree with each other and just let's gloss over. It actually, Warren Wiersbe puts it best. He says, agree to disagree with each other in things that are not essential. Agree to disagree with each other in things that are not essential. So if you come in and you're like saying that Jesus isn't, Lord isn't God, that's essential. We can't agree there. I, don't, I won't agree. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to agree on the things that the Bible declares. But the things that are non-essential, let's agree to disagree. I think if you're married, you get this. <laughs> I don't care what color that is. You know, I don't... <laughs> yeah. I, we go through this day in, day out to harmonize together. The next part, it says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Did you hear that, church? The God of love and peace will be with you. If your friends, your coworkers, or just the outside world finds out where you go to church, will they see a God of peace and of love in you? What would they say about him? We know him. We know the God of love and peace. But do we live him out? Do we live him out in our school? Do we live him out in the hallways? Do we live him out in our environments that we're in, in our homes, to our spouses, to our kids? The God of love and peace. We know him. Are we living him out? This next part, greet one another with a holy kiss. I think we're going to skip over it. <laughs> you know, COVID and all. <laughs> Here's the thing. The, uh, the kiss in the Old Testament times was reserved for family. It was reserved for your own immediate family. And the New Testament church took on the kiss 
to show, and they would kiss each other on the cheek, you know, like, mwah, mwah. they would show that they were family. Some of the earlier traditions is after someone got baptized, they would line them up and people would come up and kiss them. I mean, that'll stop your baptisms, right? I mean, I don't want to be baptized. <laughs> Greet each other with a holy kiss. I remember uh, my Uncle Bob, he was sitting and looking away from me, so I snuck up behind him here and kissed him on the neck, gave him a holy kiss. And I thought he was going to shoot me. <laughs> he was in the Navy. You don't do that. <laughs> Greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm, I'm thankful that we still have handshakes. We can do that. So the holy kiss, though, is very reserved. And can you imagine all the saints greeting you? And then verse 14, we're getting there. We're getting to the meat. Verse 14, this is the great apostolic benediction. Most religious services, you'll hear them close with verse 14. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all the end. That's usually a close of most ceremonies. And you probably have heard it before. But let's break it down. Verse 14 starts, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you picture this? The grace, the free, unmerited favor of Jesus Christ upon you, upon the church, upon brothers and sisters. This is God, Jesus Christ. He is God, stepped out of glory in all of his splendor and became poor to make you me, rich, unmerited favor, unmerited grace. He became stricken, beaten, despised so that I could be brought into the fold. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to take that on for the whole world, anybody that would come, he would take it on. His grace is sufficient for all of us. To come. He suffered death so that we could all live. His grace. And then we get to the love of God. We come back to Calvary and we sang it. Love was poured out by giving us the Holy Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. His beloved Son, the one whom He favored. He gave Him to the world out of His love so that we could fellowship with God. Because there's no other way. Without the love of God giving Jesus Christ, there's no way any of us are getting into heaven. It is God's love that demonstrated it on the cross, even while I was a sinner. He loved me. And then we come to the last part, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship. Another word for fellowship, you want to know what it is? Communion. Fellowship. Partnership. Coming together, associate, companion, to have divine fellowship with God himself. Jesus paid the way. We can all have that way paved. It's through his blood. It's through his body being broken open so the blood can be spilled. And we celebrate it. 
We celebrate his death. So you see our marching orders. I'm going to set this aside here a second. Oh, I need a stagehand. They got the room back. No, okay, just joking. I have a bench here to help me visualize. And yes, I've had the bench up here before, last year, 2021, during communion. Because I want us all to grasp the fellowship that we have through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the grace in Jesus Christ to come and to suffer and to die on our behalf. The love of the Father that sent him. And what's so amazing is that the Bible tells us before the world began... It was in their mind that Christ died. They knew the plan. Before it even was established, before the world began, they had a plan to restore, to rescue. God is a restorer. God is a rescuer, and it's all through Jesus Christ. This is the plan. And the love that the Father and the Son share is so amazing. It's so beautiful. That was even when Jesus cried out on the cross that his pain was too great when his father looked away. It wasn't the scourging. It wasn't the beard pulling. It wasn't the spitting. It wasn't even the whips. It wasn't even that. It was God seeing that he couldn't look at his son because he became sin for me. He became sin for all of us. And when he became sin, that relationship was paused. And it never was ever paused in all of eternity. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the end of that psalm is still a praise. You know why? Because he says, you've forsaken me so that we can finish our rescue plan. You've forsaken me so everybody else can come and fellowship Come, and the table's open. You can sit. You can be with the divine. This is how. It's through the Holy Spirit. He comes into your heart, and you get to sit and partake of the divine nature that is between God and Jesus. Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17. It's the high priestly prayer. He says, Father, let the love that we share be in them. Let them be one as we are one. What? We have all of this through the Holy Spirit. This is our fellowship. This is our communion. That we get to sit with the divine God who's holy, pure, without reproach, without blemish, without spot, anything. He is so holy and He's calling sinners. Come and sit. at The table is open. You can fellowship. You can have all of your sins forgiven. He will remember our iniquities no more. He will wash us whiter than snow, and it's all through the blood 
and grace of Jesus Christ. And that we celebrate. I shared this at 8 o'clock. You know what the problem is with me? I get up. I have fellowship with God's divine nature. It's an intimacy in his word that you'll find and you get to enjoy him and he enjoys you. He's your God and you're his son or daughter. But I get up from the fellowship and I chase after the false spirit of criticism or anger or anything this world has to offer. It's false. I know the depths of me. So I share that this is me, and you can take it on for yourself, Ezekiel 16. It says that God saw me, and I was born, and I was cast into a ditch. In that ditch, nobody cut my umbilical cord. Nobody rubbed the blood off of me from my birth. I still had all the birth ick on me. It says that God looked on me and had compassion. And God brought me out of the ditch. He put salt on me. He washed me. He cleansed me. He purified me. And then he adorned me with all of the jewels and all the riches and all the goodness and all the splendor of the divine. And it says, and when I grew up, I left. And I became like a prostitute. Giving myself away to false spirits and false gods and false things of this world that cannot do anything but condemn us. Anything but leave us empty and without a Savior. And it goes on and it says, in fact, I'm worse than a prostitute. Because a prostitute at least gets retribution from her works. I pay them to ravish me. I pay this world to harm me and break me. I pay the world, and he says, I'm worse than a prostitute because I get up from the fellowship and I seek the wrong things. But then he tells me in his word, he's faithful and he's just. To say, Seth, come sit back down. And he washes me clean again. And he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He's faithful. Even when I'm not. And we celebrate the blood that washes us, cleanses us. And we need the reminder that we need cleansed every day. Church. I can't answer your fellowship for you. But he's calling each of you. Let's bow our heads. Steve's going to come and play, and we're going to just take a few moments. The Bible says, examine your hearts. Examine them and let the Lord pierce in. Grab, you can grab your communion cup and just hold on to it before. But just bow your heads. Take a moment and search yourself for what fellowship you're in.
as you grab the cup. You can open the side with the bread. It says, now as they were eating, just think their fellowship, partaking of the Seder meal that was tradition. So they all knew it so well, and Jesus stops it and changes it and hands them the bread and blessed it. And they're all around the table, and he says, Take and eat. This is his body. We must partake of Jesus on the inside. Be restored on the inside. And he had a perfect, holy, without sin, without blemish body that was split open so the blood could shed for us. So he took it. He blessed it. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the body of Jesus Christ that you prepared for the salvation of the world. Perfect and holy without any spot or blemish. The holy lamb of God. And so we thank you for his body that was laid down. That was given up so we could be set free. Thank you for that sweet fellowship we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake. Take the other side of the cup. It says that Jesus took it. We gave thanks for it. He told them, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If you don't have the blood covering your sins, then you're not forgiven. Let the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, wash you on the inside. Not by partaking of the juice, but by asking him to come in and cleanse you. How precious is the wonderful blood that was spilled on Calvary for each of us. So, Father, we thank you for this wonderful blood that is our atonement. And that blood is Jesus Christ that was spilled on Calvary. And, Lord, we remember it and celebrate it today. And we drink the juice knowing that we need your blood on our hearts, on our souls. That we could partake of your holiness. It's only through your son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit coming in and anointing your people. Help us to live out the marching orders through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake. What a sweet time of fellowship. And if we don't know the Holy Spirit, 
is how we can rejoice in suffering. The Holy Spirit is how we're going to comfort one another. The Holy Spirit's how we're going to have unity. He's the fellowship that we need as individuals and as a church. So let's stand and let's worship him for sending us all of his great love. Let's sing.